Chapter Five of Return of the Mucker by Edgar Rice Burroughs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. One turn deserves another. When the two tramps approached the farmhouse at which Billy had purchased food a few hours before, the farmer's wife called the dog that was asleep in the summer kitchen and took a shotgun down from its hook beside the door. From long expertise, the lady was a reader of character, of hobo character at least and she saw nothing in the appearance of either of these two that inspired even a modicum of confidence. Now the young fellow who had been there earlier in the day, and who, wonder of wonders, had actually paid for the food that she gave him, had been of a different stamp. His clothing had proclaimed him a tramp, but, thanks to the razor Bridge had always carried, he was cleanly shaven. His year of total abstinence had given him clear eyes and a healthy skin. There was a freshness and vigor in his appearance and carriage that inspired confidence rather than suspicion. She had not mistrusted him, but these others she did mistrust. When they asked to use the telephone, she refused and ordered them away, thinking it but an excuse to enter the house. But they argued the matter, explained that they had discovered an escaped murderer hiding nearby, in fact, in her own meadow, and that they wished only to call up the Kansas City police. Finally she yielded, but kept the dog by her side and the shotgun in her hand, while the two entered the room and crossed to the telephone upon the opposite side. From the conversation which she overheard, the woman concluded that, after all, she had been mistaken not only about these two but about the young man who had come earlier in the day and purchased food from her for the description the tramp gave of the fugitive tallied exactly with that of the young man it seemed incredible that so honest-looking a man could be a murderer the good woman was shocked and not a little unstrung by the thought that she had been in the house alone when he had come and if he had wished to he could have easily have murdered her i hope they get him she said when the tramp had concluded his talk with kansas city it's awful the carryings on they is nowadays why, a body can't never tell who to trust, and I thought him such a nice young man, and he paid me for what he got, too. The dog, bored by the inaction, had wandered back into the summer kitchen and resumed his broken slumber. One of the tramps was leaning against the wall, talking with the farmer woman. The other was busily engaged in scratching his right shin with what remained of the heel of his left shoe. He supported himself with one hand on the small table, upon the top of which was a family Bible. Quite unexpectedly, he lost his balance. The table tipped, and he was thrown still further over toward it, and all in the flash of an eye, tramp, table, and family Bible crashed to the floor. With a little cry of alarm, the woman rushed forward to gather up the holy book, in her haste forgetting the shotgun and leaving it behind her, leaning against the arm of a chair. Almost simultaneously, the two tramps saw the real cause of her perturbation. The large book had fallen upon its back, open, and as several of the leaves turned over, before coming to rest, their eyes went wild at what was revealed between united states currency and denominations of five ten and twenty dollar bills lay snugly inserted between the leaves of the bible the tramp who lay on the floor as yet too surprised to attempt to rise rolled over and seized the book as a football player seizes the pigskin after a fumble covering it with his body his arms and sticking out his elbows as a further protection to the invaluable thing at the first cry of the woman the dog rose growling and bounded into the room the tramp leaning against the wall saw the brute coming a mongrel hound dog bristling and savage the shotgun stood almost within the man's reach, a step and it was in his hands. As though sensing the fellow's intentions, the dog wheeled from the tramp upon the floor, toward whom he had leaped, and sprang for the other ragged scoundrel. The muzzle of the gun met him halfway. There was a deafening roar. The dog collapsed on the floor, his chest torn out. Now the woman began to scream for help, but in an instant both tramps were upon her, choking her to silence. One of them ran to the summer kitchen, returned a moment later with a piece of clothesline, while the other sat astride the victim. His fingers closed about her throat. Once he released his hold, she screamed again. Presently she was secured and gagged. Then the two commenced to rifle the Bible. Eleven hundred dollars in bills were hidden there, because the woman and her husband didn't believe in banks. The savings of a lifetime. 
In agony, as she regained consciousness, she saw the last of the little hoard transferred to the pockets of the tramps, and when they had finished, they demanded to know where she kept the rest, loosening her gag that she might reply. She told them that was all the money she had in the world, and begged them not to take it. "'Yous have got more coin than this,' growled one of the men, "'and yous had better pass it over, or we'll find a way to make yous.' But still she insisted that was all. The tramp stepped into the kitchen. A wood fire was burning in the stove. A pair of pliers lay upon the window sill. With these he lifted one of the hot stove-hole covers and returned to the parlor, grinning. "'I guess you'll remember she's got more when this begins to woik,' he said. "'Take off her shoes, Dick.' The other growled an objection. "'You poor boob,' he said. "'Dicks'll be here in a little while.' We'd better be making our getaway with what we got. Gee, exclaimed the companion, I clean forgot all about the dicks. And then after a moment's silence during which his eagle face underwent various changes of expression, from fear to final relief, he turned an ugly crooked grimace upon his companion. We got a croaker, he said. They ain't no other way. If they finds her alive, she'll blab sure, and they won't be no trouble about getting us or identifying us neither. The other shrugged. Let's beat it, he whined. We can't more in due time for this job if we stop now. But the other'll mean and he made a suggestive circle with a grimy finger close to his neck. "'Nah, it won't nothing of the kind,' urged his companion. "'I got it all doped out. We got lots of time before the dicks are due. We'll croak the skirt, and then we'll beat up to the road, and meet them dicks, see?' The other was aghast. "'When did yous goes nuts?' he asked. "'I ain't got nuts. Wait till I get true. We meet the dicks, innocent-like, but first we catches the dough in the woods. We tells em we hurry right on to lead em to this burn guy, and then when we gets back here to the farmhouse and finds what's happened here, we'll be as flabbergasted as they be. Oh, nuts, exclaimed the other disgustedly. Yous don't think yous can put that over on any wise guy from Shy, do yous? Who will they think croaked the old woman and the ki? Will they think they killed themselves? They'll think Baron and his partner croaked them, you simp, replied Crumb. Dink scratched his head as the possibilities of the scheme filled into his dull brain. A broad grin bared his yellow teeth. "'You're there, pal,' he exclaimed, real admiration in his voice. "'Well, who's going to do it?' "'I'll do it,' said Crumb. "'There ain't no chance of getting in bad for it, so I just as soon do the job. "'Get me a knife or an axe from the kitchen. "'The gap makes too much noise.' Something awoke Billy Byrne with a start. Faintly, in the back of his consciousness, the dim suggestion of a loud noise still reverberated. He sat up and looked about him. "'I wonder what that was,' he mused. "'It sounded like the report of a gun.' Bridge awoke about the same time and turned lazily over, raising himself upon an elbow. He grinned at Billy. Good morning, he said, and then, says I, then let's be on the float. You certainly have got my goat. You make me hungry in my throat for seeing things as new. Out there someone will ride the range of looking for the new and strange. My feet are tired and need a change. Come on, it's up to you. Come on, then, agreed Billy, come to his feet. As he rose, there came faintly, but distinct, the unmistakable scream of a frightened woman. From the direction of the farmhouse it came, from the farmhouse in which Billy had purchased their breakfast. Without waiting for a repetition of the cry, Billy wheeled and broke into a rapid run in the direction of the little cluster of buildings. Bridge leapt to his feet and followed behind him, dropping behind, though, for he had not had the road work that Billy had recently had been training through, in his training for the battle in which he had defeated the White Hope, that time in New York when Professor Cassidy had wagered his entire pile upon him, nor in vain. Dink searched about the summer kitchen for an axe or hatchet, but failing to find either, rummaged through a table drawer until he came upon a large carving knife. This would do the job nicely. He thumbed the edge as he carried it back into the parlor to Crumb. The poor woman, lying upon the floor, was quite conscious. Her eyes were wide and rolling in horror. She struggled with her bonds and tried to force the gag from her mouth with her tongue, but her every effort was useless. She had heard every word that had passed between the two men. She knew that they would carry out the plan that they had formulated, that there was no chance that they would be interrupted in their gruesome work, 
for her husband had driven over to a farm beyond holiday leaving before sunrise and there was little prospect that he would return before milking time in the evening the detectives from kansas city could not possibly reach the farm until far too late to save her she saw dink return from the summer kitchen with a long knife she recalled the day that she had bought that knife in town and the various uses to which she had put it that very morning she had sliced some bacon with it how distinctly such things recurred to her at that frightful moment and now the hideous creature standing beside her was going to use it to cut her throat she saw crumb had taken the knife and feel of the blade running his thumb along it she saw him stoop his eyes turned upon hers he grasped her chin and forced it upwards and back better to expose her throat oh why could she not faint why must she suffer all those hideous preliminaries why could she not even close her eyes crumb raised the knife and held the blade close above her bared neck a shudder ran through her and then the door crashed open and a man sprang into the room it was billy byrne through the window he had seen what had passed in the interior his hand fell upon crumb's collar and jerked him backward from his prey dink seized the shotgun and turned it upon the intruder but he was too close billy grasped the barrel of the weapon and threw the muzzle up toward the ceiling as the tramp pulled the trigger then he wrenched it from the man's hand swung it once above his head and crashed a stock down upon dink's skull dink went down now for the count for several counts in fact crumb stumbled to his feet and made a break for the door in the doorway he ran full into bridge winded but ready the latter realizing that the matted one was attempting to escape seized a handful of his tangled beard and as he had done upon another occasion held the tramp's head in rigid position while he planted a series of blows in the fellow's face blows that left crumb as completely out of battle as his mildewed comrade watch him says billy handing bridge the shotgun then he turned his attention to the woman with the carving knife that was to have ended her life he cut her bonds removing the gag from her mouth he lifted her in his strong arms and carried her to the little horsehair sofa that stood in one corner of the parlor laying her upon it very gently he was thinking of ma watson this woman resembled her just a little particularly in her comfortable motherly expansiveness and she had had a kind word of a cheery good-bye for him that morning as he departed the woman lay upon the sofa breathing hard and moaning just a little the shock had been almost too much even for her solid nerves presently she turned her eyes towards billy you're a good boy she said and you come just in the nick of time they got all my money it's in their clothes and then a look of terror overspread her face for the moment she had forgotten that she had heard about this man that he was an escaped convict a convicted murderer was she any better off now that she had let him know about the money than she was with the others after they discovered it at her words bridge kneeled and searched the two tramps he counted the bills as he removed them from their pockets eleven hundred he asked and handed the money to billy eleven hundred yes breathed the woman faintly her eyes horror-filled and fearful as she gazed upon billy's face she didn't care for the money any more they could have it all if they would only let her live billy turned toward her and held the rumpled green mass out here he said but that's an awful lot of coin for a woman to have around the house and her all alone you ought not have done it she took the money in trembling figures it seemed incredible that a man was returning it to her but i knew it she said finally knew what i knew you was a good boy they said you was a murderer billy's brows contracted and an expression of pain crossed his face how did they come to that he asked i heard them telephone to kansas city to the police she replied and then she sat bolt upright the detectives are on their way here now she almost screamed and even if you are a murderer i don't care i won't stand by and see them get you after what you've done for me i don't believe you're a murderer anyhow you're a good boy my boy would be about as bold and as big as you are now if he lives he ran away a long time ago maybe you've met him his name's eddie eddie shorter i ain't heard from him for years no she went on i don't believe what they said you got too good a face but if you are a murderer you get out now before they come and i'll send em on a wild goose chase in the wrong direction but these said billy we can't leave these here 
Tie him up and give me the shotgun, she said. I'll bet they don't come any more funny business on me. She had regained both her composure and her nerve by this time. Together, Billy and Bridge trussed up the two tramps, and Elfin couldn't have forced the bonds they placed upon them. Then they carried them down cellar, and when they had come up again, Mrs. Shorter barred the cellar door. I reckon they won't get out of there very fast, she said, and now you two boys run along. Got any money? And without waiting for a reply, she counted twenty-five dollars from the roll she had tucked in the front of her waist and handed them to Billy. Nothing doing, said he, but thanks just the same. You gotta take it, she insisted. Let me make believe I'm giving it to my boy, Eddie. Please. And the tears that came to her eyes proved far more effective than her generous words. Oh, all right, said Billy. I'll take it and pass it along to Eddie if I ever meet him, eh? Now please hurry, she urged. I don't want you to be caught. Even if you are a murderer, I wish you weren't, though. I'm not, said Billy. But the law says that I am. What the law says goes. He turned toward the doorway with Bridge, calling a goodbye to the woman. But as he stepped out upon the veranda, the dust of a fast-moving automobile appeared about a bend in the road a half-mile from the house. Too late, he said, turning to Bridge. Here they come. The woman brushed by them and peered up the road. Yes, she said. It must be them. Lordy, what'll we do? I'll duck out the back way. That's what I'll do, said Billy. It wouldn't do for a mighty good, said Mrs. Shorter, with a shake of her head. They'll telephone every farmer within twenty miles of here in every direction. And they'll get you, sure. Wait, I got a scheme. Come with me. And she turned and busted through the little parlor, out of the doorway into something that was a half-hall, half-storeroom. There was a flight of stairs leading to the upper story, and she waddled up them as fast as her legs could carry her, motioning the two men to follow her. In a rear room was a trap door to the ceiling. Drag that commode under this, she told them, then climb into the attic and close the trap door. They won't never find you there. Billy pulled the ancient article of furniture beneath the opening, and in another moment the two men were in the stuffy atmosphere of the unventilated loft. Beneath them they heard Mrs. Shorter dragging the commode back to its custom place, and then the sound of her footsteps descending the stair. Presently there came to them the rattling of a motor without, followed by the voice of men in the house. For an hour, half asphyxiated by the closeness of the attic, they waited, and then again they heard the sound of the running engine, diminishing as the machine drew away. Shortly after, Mrs. Shorter's voice rose to them from below. You can come down now, she said. They've gone. When they had descended, she led them to the kitchen. I got a bite to eat ready for you while they was here, she explained. When you've done, you can hide in the barn till dark, and after that I'll have my old man take you across to Dotson. That's a junction, and you ought to be able to get away easy enough from there. I told them you started for Olathe. That's where they've gone with the two tramps. My, but I did have a time of it. I ain't much good at storytelling, but I reckon I told more stories this afternoon than I ever told before in my life. I told them they was the two of you, and that the biggest one had red hair, and the little one was pockmarked. Then they said you probably wasn't the man at all, and my, how they did swear at them two tramps for getting them way out here on a wild goose chase. But they're going to look for you just the same in Olave, only they won't find you there. And she laughed a bit nervously, though. It was dusk when Mr. Shorter returned from holiday, but after he heard his wife's story, he said that he'd drive them two boys all the way to Mexico if there wasn't any better plan. Dodson's far enough, Bridge assured him, and late that night the grateful farmer set them down at their destination. An hour later they were speeding south on the Missouri Pacific. Bridge lay back luxuriously on the red plush of the smoker's seat. Some glass to us, eh, Bo? asked Billy. Bridge stretched. The tidehounds race far up the shore, the hunt is on, the breakers roar. Her spars are tipped with gold, and o'er her deck the spray is flung. The buoys that frolic in the bay, they nod the way, they nod the way. The hunt is up, I am the prey, the hunter's bow is strung. End of chapter 5